0: Leadership isn't for the faint of heart. It's dirty, dangerous, difficult, and disruptive. It will test everything about who you are. Unfortunately, as a leader, you're out front, which means you usually only get about 43 feet of good road built for those following behind you while you're running the race yourself. Welcome to the 43 Feet Podcast, where each week you'll hear from some of the greatest leaders we can find, both in F3 and beyond. If you're going to lead, you'll need to be ready for the difficult challenges. For what lies ahead in the unknown, for what's lurking in the next 43 Feet. Uh, Welcome back to another uh, episode of 43 Feet, uh, a podcast about leadership. Uh, As always, uh, my name is Frank Schwartz, um, and uh, you know me in the gloom uh, as Dark Helmet. And uh, we're, we're discussing uh, leadership topics, things that are relevant to F3 Nation. And speaking of relevant to F3 Nation, of course, uh, as you well know, the 10-year celebration is coming up in October, uh, which is kind of exciting. Uh, we've got a lot of good stuff planned for that, um, some kind of cool speakers and uh, some, some really interesting breakout sessions and different things that are going along there. So if you haven't had a chance to register yet, go ahead and do that. Um, get yourself together and, and get down to what we estimate will be the largest uh, F3 party to date. Uh, and we've had some big ones, uh, but this is this celebration, man. This is uh, you know it's ten years of of bringing uh, what we try to do uh, to unlock men, unlock leaders to the world. Uh, and in the last ten years, really, it's funny because just in the last year, uh, we've seen incredible growth. Uh, we see ourselves in Kenya, uh, Nairobi, Kenya. Uh, we've had two different places in uh, Australia open up, uh, Sussex, England, Dortmund, Germany, and this is all within you know COVID actually. Whereas a lot of places, I think, got shut down by COVID, you know, since we're free and, <laughs> and outdoors, like, eh, you know, everybody kind of came out of the woodwork. And so here we are. And we're celebrating all that uh, in October. So, man, if you haven't uh, registered yet, do it. Uh, and, of course, there's many, many, many other things going on. And as you are listening to this, that means you're probably involved in the F3 podcast world. And so you will hear the F3 COT podcast featuring my boy, Hello Kitty, uh, Brian Jodis. And he will bring you news of the nation with his co-host, Rapido. Um, and uh, and so you know, make sure you tune into those things as well. All right. But that has nothing to do with what we are going to discuss today. And uh, fortunately for me, uh, and actually I, I got introduced to this gentleman uh, through Hello Kitty. Um, I, I'm really, really, really excited to welcome Philip Stutz uh, to the podcast today. Uh, Philip comes from the cutthroat world of political marketing, which... Uh, <laughs> I, I think the only thing probably maybe more cutthroat than politics itself probably would be uh, political marketing, uh, in, my, in my estimation. Um, he's been doing this for over 20 years. He's worked on uh, countless uh, different uh, campaigns and uh, contributed to over 1,400 different election victories, including uh, three U.S. presidents. Um, so he kind of knows the game uh, of political marketing and also corporate marketing uh, on a very, very high level and, and what it's like to kind of to battle it out, you know, in that, in that very competitive arena and and big budgets and and kind of have that sort of win or die uh, mentality. And that's something obviously that we strive for uh, in F3 is to sort of have that same kind of, you know, get it done no matter what uh, sort of mentality. And so I'm excited to talk to him, but uh, the other thing uh, about Philip is that he, he kind of has a a, a very uh, interesting road uh, to get to where he is and kind of you know, finding purpose and different things with his work. Uh, and that's part of what we want to talk to him about today. So, hey, Philip, thank you for being with me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, Welcome
1: let's up. start out. And um, so I guess Brian Jodis goes by Hello Kitty. Is that his nickname? That, yes, that is his idiot. F3 okay, so, so Brian worked with me for years and, and uh, I love him to death. But a long time ago when he was working in politics, he got nicknamed not Jodis, which is his last name, but Jodice. So just know, everybody out there Italian. listening, <laughs> they need to start calling him Jodice, which is what we all call him now. Every time I refer, like, yeah, hey, how's Jodice? Uh, you know, like you I know to... he mutual. has
0: conveniently forgotten to mention you know, that. that one, to uh, I'm, I'm yeah. leading
1: off with a, with a two-run homer, right? Off the... <laughs> <laughs> That's really
0: good. Oh, so uh, gentlemen in, in uh, the Carpex area, carry Apex area, uh, feel free to rename him from Hello Kitty to something like, uh, we think like Leg Lamp,
1: right? Yeah, it's okay. Italian. It must be
0: Italian. Name it a yeah, major right. award. Leg Lamp. <laughs> 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 that's too good. Oh man. Well, now that we've got that uh, squared away. Yeah. So, uh, Phil, you know, in your bio, and and we've talked obviously that you've been you've been at this marketing game for a long time, um, and even though that's kind of always been something that that you've done, and and uh, and obviously done at a very high level and been very, very successful at. Some things have happened in the last few years that have sort of caused the things to take a little bit of a turn, uh, I guess, maybe in your focus on how you did it and, and why you did it. Is it, is that a fair statement?
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <not> <laughs> in, uh, yeah. It's an understatement. Yeah, it's an yeah. understatement. But yeah. So
0: um, why don't you kind of catch us up, uh, I guess, sort of, you know, start start a little ways back and kind of tell us kind of where you were. And then what was that sort of some of those catalytic events that changed
1: Yeah, I went to a Tony Robbins. I, I got into Tony Robbins back in 2015. I was 41 at the time. And uh, I'm not, are you familiar, Frank, with, with all the Tony Robbins stuff at all? Indeed.
0: Okay. I mean, I'm a, I I wouldn't say I'm a, a, a disciple, but I am a fan.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a pretty big fan too, and and at the time, uh, I he was the perfect vessel for what I needed in my life, and I remember I was driving from New Orleans to Birmingham, Alabama, in between seeing clients and listening to a podcast with him and Tim Ferriss, and I just remember pulling over to the side of the road, and and I mean, I knew who Tony Robbins was, but I didn't know. I mean, I knew he was the guy that sold the tapes on TV in the '80s and mm-hmm. '90s and all that stuff, but that's about all I knew, and then. I, I listening to this podcast, it was like in 2000, it was in 2014. And I just like literally jaw dropped and was like, geez, this is everything I'm looking for right now. And I said, I don't, I don't care what it costs. I'm signing up for something. And I, I literally pulled over on the side of the interstate at a rest stop. And, and I wrote a $10,000 check to go to business mastery. Cause I wasn't quite ready to get personal mastery a, a shot, but I get, I could do business mastery. So he has sort of a business course, um, And it was like in Palm Beach with him. And I wrote a $10,000 check uh, to go to it. And that really was the launch of everything for me. I I feel, I feel, I I don't know what order I was supposed to go in, but my, my life and my process is my own order, I guess. So I did that first. And then I ended up doing some personal programs of his uh, one called unleash the power within. And then I did um, I did a, a program called Date with Destiny. If you've ever heard of Date with Destiny, uh, or maybe you haven't, right? It's a six-day program with Tony and about 3,000 people, and it goes about 17 hours a day, and you don't have any sleep, and it's the most earth-shattering moment you'll ever go through in life. So if you're really at a I mean, I, I mean, I think it's for anybody and everybody and wherever they are in life. But for me, I was in, you know, a pretty painful spot. I just didn't didn't like who I was, didn't figure realized I wasn't where I needed to be in life, in my personal life, didn't know why. I think we all feel stuck sometimes, and I was stuck and when I got unstuck going to business mastery for my business and exploded on the entrepreneurial front, literally in January of 2015. And and have not stopped since then. But on my personal Mm -hmm. front, on the personal life and my marriage and my father ability to be a father, and my just own life of, you know, figuring out who I am, um, I I was pretty still lost. And so I I did this date with destiny. And I remember, um, it was like the fifth of the sixth nights, and it was about two in the morning. And there was a moment And every day, there's like a you you peel a, a layer of onion of your own life out of this program and you're like oh boy I do that okay I got to change that and then the next day it's like oh I realized I'm this guy and then the next day it's like oh no I'm this person and like 99.9% of people will never under, undergo anything like a, a self-examination like that yeah um, and I'm so grateful for it because uh, I didn't you know I didn't know what I was going to walk into but by the fifth the, about 2 a.m the fifth day I realized it hit me all at once and by the way my wife went with me But at this program, they split you up. And so you're in basically groups and different teams, but your wife is not with you. And that's kind of a good thing because you don't have that energy next to you and you can actually do a lot of self-exploration anyway. And so I'm sitting there at two in the morning and I realize it hits me that I'm the cause of all the problems in my own life. And that I had been blaming everybody for everything forever and ever and ever. And it was a pretty low moment at about the same moment that I came to this conclusion. My, I look over across the room cause it's about 3000 people and I see my wife and she's standing on her chair, screaming for freedom. And she <laughs> realized that like she wasn't the root cause of all the problems we have in our marriage uh-huh. or with everything. Right. Yeah. And that was a pretty defining moment for me. I, I think when looking back on it, it could have gone one way or the other. And the other, you know, first of all, if I hadn't have done a program like that, definitely would have gone, we would have been divorced by now, hundred percent chance. Having done that program, we both realized we got a lot of work to do. And if we want to make, have a, if we don't want to break up our family, then we're going to have to do a lot of work. And frankly, I was the one that's going to have to do a lot of work too. Um, and so that started the journey for me. And when I say the work, you're going to hear, you know, you, you, and before we jumped on the recording, you said something, yeah. what you, you said, the, what would you call your work? Uh, the grueling work, the grueling work. Right?
0: <laughs> it feels So, yeah, so I
1: mean, yeah. I, you know, and I said, Hey, you know, th- that words mean things. So when you call it grueling, it makes it look awful, but I'm just as guilty of that for the last six, seven years of my life, I've gone, Oh my God, this is so painful. This sucks. But the bottom line is, is that I was leading a very unconscious life a very meaningless, purposeless life. I was going through the motions. Uh, um, I was, you know, I almost say I was the worst kind of narcissist. I was not the kind that told you how great I was. I was the kind that blamed you for everything, blamed everybody (laughs) for everything, and Uh then took all the credit when things went right. That is the (laughs) worst. I think if they're on the the totem pole of narcissism, this would be on the bottom, right? And that's that's basically (laughs) who I was. And, you know, basically you have a choice. Do you want, you know, you modeled the behavior from people in your past, and do you want to break that cycle and live a joyous, conscious life Mm -hmm. Um, that's always going to have challenges? Always. I'm still trying to figure this out damn thing called life out. There's no way that I, have there've been a couple of times, right? Where I, I, my, I went to my wife and I go, Oh, I got this. I got this. And then, you know, (laughs) whether it's God or the universe or whatever, you You get slapped in the face and you go, Oh no, no, I don't. And, and so I think if anything I've learned through 2021 is just the amount of humbleness I have for the journey I'm on. And that I'm always going to be working to be better, be a more thoughtful human being. And really, and I mean, I can go through all the different layers of this. I mean, since that conference, the first thing I did was, I, you know, you would think I would go work on my marriage. I actually didn't. I worked on being a father first. So I came out Mm. of that and became, uh, said, I'm going to commit to being a great father. Um, At the same time, being committed to being a great, um, entrepreneur and then I said well, I've got to fix a lot of family relationships so I focused on that after I in terms of your your family like your yeah. your family of origin kind of thing family of origin right yeah and so I worked on all that and then uh, you know about three four years into it my wife goes hey when when are we working on us and I'm <laughs> I'm like, I, that. it wasn't that right. I was like terrible or anything it's just. No. You know, I mean, uh, Tony actually has this quote. It's great. Like, if you want a successful marriage, treat your marriage like it's the first month you're dating again. And that always rings true to me. Like, am I treating my wife like it's the first month we're dating again like the first month i mean i'm on fire i'm planning dates i'm making surprises i'm sending her flowers all in and then all of a sudden you know it just it's like the it's like the roller coaster i'm at the bottom of the roller coaster now going "Ah," like what's for dinner you know (laughs) and like that's no way to go through life so like and then i went you know you're right and so we started working on each other and we've done that for a couple years and then probably uh, about a year ago, so we're talking, you know, September 2021. Excuse me, September 2020. I was just in bad place again, and I couldn't figure out why. I made all this progress. I, I feel mm-hmm. like I'm a committed and loving father, committed and loving husband. Um, I'm proud of what we've built. In my businesses. I feel I have great relationships with a lot of different people with boundaries that was one of my problems no boundaries mm-hmm. and so people could take advantage of me and so mm-hmm. um all these things but something wasn't quite right i got back into therapy because i've been in therapy and we talked about this before but you know i we can kind of go through my therapy journey because it's kind of fascinating but i I'll say give them a high level on that one, yeah i think, well, it I mean, is. I think done, it's important I, for him to hear. I, I feel like going to all these tony robbins things with a form of therapy i got a therapist i was in there i was with, with a you know, a psychologist for years. And then I uh, up my game and I got into psychedelic uh, therapy. So I was on, mm-hmm. uh, I've done uh, MDMA, which is basically ecstasy with a therapist and with my wife in the room. And then and it's a long process, not like I'm dancing or listening to music. I like <laughs> literally <laughs> have a blind turn on
0: the rave mind. music and then yeah, you're know, not t- at t- all. T- it's <laughs> actually
1: very, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's literally about to be, it's illegal to do, but it's about to be legal. Uh, they're in the third clinical trial stage at Johns Hopkins university. And they've been treating, mm. um, uh, war veterans with, uh, MDMA to overcome PTSD. And let me tell you, it freaking works. And then I went back and I did MDMA and I stacked it with LSD. That was, um, the only reason i did that is because my ego that's why not yeah my ego is so strong and i don't mean Uh like in the you know like like Like, i have just a strong ego i'm a type a personality Mm -hmm. that the only way to sort of melt that ego and get into the psychedelics and go through the the process of what that was all about was that you have to take a little you have to take some lsd because that will wipe your ego completely out with it takes all the barriers seconds out right all the walls all
0: the everything you put up
1: right Right, but then i got so i did all that and then the pandemic and we got through the you know most of the first part of the pandemic but something just wasn't right i didn't feel good got back into therapy and and then i realized probably by january of this year i i don't love myself i mean that's just the bottom line Mm. and i hear i've done all this work right on my business on my Daughter, or my wife, or my fam, my origin, family, all that stuff. And you know what? I forgot all about me. <laughs> and that's the I truth. I love all you people and I'm going to serve you and I'm going to do really well. And then oh, I, I realized I'm, I'm really not going to be the best husband and father, yeah. business leader, or family member if I don't love myself first. It's not a selfish thing. I have to love who I am. And only then am I able to actually truly love and give to others. If I, if I don't love myself first, then I'm actually taking from others and not, and not what do you mean being by a that? giver by that? What, what do you mean by that? What do I mean by what? That you, that you, that you're taking from others if you're, yeah, I'm just getting my needs met when i mm. for whatever reason, whatever I'm doing, whatever action, it's actually just to get my needs met because i don't love myself so i'm trying to fill that void with other people's love with other people's uh, actions with other people's reinforcements instead of just being comfortable and loving who i am and going yeah this is who i am love me or, or don't love me but this is who i am i actually do and you know and so i i've worked extremely hard over the last nine months to just take a break and understand what i need to do to find that I love myself. And part of that is in my activities in life, probably like a lot of what you guys do uh, at F3. Right. Uh, That is for men. Like uh, what I love about that is that's for men to do for themselves so that they can provide for their families. It's very Mm -hmm. similar. Right. But for me, it's uh, hunting and it's doing activities outside. It's being in nature and it's actually, you know, I, I realized the, sorry, I'm I'm rambling a little bit, but what I really realized was um, that I have an addiction issue. Okay, it's not alcohol and it's not drugs and it's it's, you know, it's not uh, porn. It's not anything like that. My addiction is distraction, because I don't want to face my own demons or my own self or look at myself from the inside out. Hmm. I don't want to be in my own feelings, because I'm afraid of what that will show me and what that will reveal. And so about April of 2021, just a few months ago, I was at a. I'm I'm in an entrepreneur group that is called Front Row Dads, and mm-hmm. it is it is a, it's about uh, family men that own businesses, not businessmen that have families. That's mm-hmm. that's the motto, and it's about how do you become a better family man as an as a business owner and entrepreneur. It's a great group, and you know what I realized, you know, coming out of that was, um, you know. I have this, I have an addiction. I don't have it's not, you know, I I have I often wondered, man, I'm addicted to alcohol. I don't drink that much, right? But I was right, like, am I addicted right. to alcohol? Like, a, what yeah. is it? What is it? What, it is, what is it? Is even me going to the gym was uh, a, an addictive quality that I had to distract myself from just thinking my own thoughts and checking in with myself and, and feeling mm-hmm. through my feelings, which my I actually had to ask my therapist. I I keep being told I need to feel through my feelings. I don't know what that means. I literally said I don't know what that means. And I didn't. Yeah. And and I now do. And, you know, I mean, I carve out maybe an hour to a day now where I turn off everything in the middle of the day. And I live at the beach in Florida. And mm-hmm. I leave my office. It's a five minute drive. And I just walk out and I go sit on the beach and I stare at the ocean. And I don't I don't have any. Electronics on me, and I just have to walk down the beach and I have to sit there and I have to stare and I have to check in with myself and I, I have to love myself, which is something I've never given anything. I've never given that to myself. So, what do you think? Uh,
0: I mean, and without getting, I mean, it's we're not in therapy here, right? So, you know, deep you we? like or not, <laughs> is everything therapy? Maybe, <laughs> maybe, it, maybe is. it is. Um, but, uh, so I don't want you, I guess what I'm saying is don't don't answer anything you don't feel comfortable, obviously, but, um, the reason I ask it is because I think there's a lot of guys who struggle with a similar kind of thing. Um, what, keep, what kept you from, from wanting to love yourself? Like what, why, why the fear? What was happening? Like why? why I mean,
1: that... that was all unconscious. I don't know. Yeah. Until I became conscious of it. And then you have a choice. What are you going to do with it? Right? Yeah. Are you going to yeah, just yeah. shove it down and bury it like you've done all these other things in your life? Or are you going to deal with it? And I guess You know, one of the, if I was to tell you, one of my core values in life is just growth. Like growth is painful, but it's also very rewarding and I cannot sit still and just be okay with life. I have to know that I'm growing into something else and that I'm growing into something bigger. And I don't mean like growing a business. I mean, like, am I creating a space that, you know, I want to, I want to be 80 years old, Frank, and go, I have no regrets in my life. Mm Mm-hmm. I have no regrets, and yeah. and and I I don't know many people in their seventies and eighties these days that that have they say to themselves, man, I have no regrets. I, I yeah, think the generation of that that generation, and it's not their fault. I mean, it's just the way the world worked. Think about, I mean, the, what they were raised on from World oh, yeah. War II to the depression to all that, that's their parents, right? And so we've, we have so many more tools at our disposal to work through these problems that we have, these these uh, addictions or whatever it is that we have. We have so many tools and you can do something about it or you don't have to. And I just, you know, I can't live with myself if I don't, if I recognize the problem and I don't do anything about it.
0: Yeah, in our, uh, in F3 parlance, you know, the, those guys that have kind of, I don't want to say giving up all the way necessarily, but certainly those guys that kind of hit that point where they're like, I don't know what to do next. And they're just kind of grinding through just going through the motions and living without, we call them sad clowns, you know, where, where you put on that happy face, you know, on the outside, but inside you're, you're dying. And, um, and, and so Tony Robbins obviously helped uh, that that's clear. Right. Uh, and, and doing that uh, date with destiny and, and going through that, um, that program. What, there's some other things though, uh, and I don't know if you want to get into it or not. But y- you also are have have taken on a pretty lofty goal uh, uh, of attacking something that has yeah. has yeah. changed your, oh, yeah, your life that. pretty dramatic. <laughs> well, yeah, just you know, little just something a little attacking. that came up in the last little bit. Yeah, right. Um, t- tell us a little bit about kind of what happened there. When where was that in the timeline, and and how has that even further shifted?
1: Yeah, uh, what you're you're wow. thinking. Yeah, so about 10, about 11 years ago, I was uh, in my kitchen in Washington, D.C. And so I was living there at the time, and I, um, I was eating cereal in the morning for work. And for some reason, I just felt like it was just hanging out, like I couldn't get it down. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And eventually, more and more of the things I ate felt like they were just sticking in my myself because I couldn't figure out why. Went to doctors, took about eighteen months. Finally got a diagnosis, and the diagnosis was that I have an, a, a rare, what doctors call an incurable disease, and it's called achalasia. It's an esophageal disease. Basically, the nerves and the muscles in my esophagus are dead, and they'll, you know, doctors tell me they'll never work again. Right. And so that was about that was ten years ago that I got the diagnosis. And so what do we do? And this is pretty relevant to the times we're in right now with COVID and um, vaccines and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. What do you do when the doctor says, you know, I have an incurable disease, here's your medication, you know, you need to get on board with my plan and all that stuff. And so of course, yeah, I mean, my God, uh, Frank, I was being treated at the Mayo clinic, right? Like, of it. yeah, the Mayo clinic, <laughs> right? Yeah. So Oh, from 2012 to 2015, I had about 18 minor procedures on my esophagus. I had three major surgeries on my esophagus. The last surgery I had in 2015, they basically cut 25% of my stomach out. They used the, the cut to wrap my esophagus up and staple it together. Uh, they, they basically put a wrap around my esophagus and then they stapled it all together. So it would stay in place the esophagus over time had curved so not only was the esophagus not working but food was just pooling at the bottom it really
0: was catching
1: and it was yeah yeah, not only was you know water couldn't get it down it was just hanging out and it's almost looked like a J. and um and that makes me very susceptible to esophageal cancer because it'll eat away Mm -hmm. at the esophagus so I said, oh, well, gotta do that. Well, here, try this surgery, do it. Nothing worked, you know, try this surgery, nothing worked. It wasn't to, by the way, the surgeries weren't to cure it. The Surgeries were literally, they would take a scalpel and slice my esophagus from my throat to my stomach. To just open it up so stump food could fall in. It also makes me like with acid reflux. You can imagine it, if I'm way wide open right now, yeah. like it comes in, you know, like it, you know. So, so they said, well, to combat the the uh, acid reflux, we're going to put you in a lot of proton pump inhibitors. So you know, the um, Prilosec and all that, you know, the, those kind of drugs, right? But now they've come out and said, oh, by the way. <laughs> These acid reflux medications have long-term dementia properties. Like you can get dementia by wearing it because when you you take a pill that kills all the bad acid in your stomach, it also kills all the good acid in your stomach. And, and therefore, and you know, they're, they found links. And by the way, I I, I might as well have gotten a a PhD in medicine over the last (laughs) 10 years. But but you know there's um, you have the vagus vagus nerve and the vagus nerve connects your brain to your stomach and when you're killing all the acid that your brain needs the good acid um, you're creating problems for yourself down the line and there have been studies on this and all these things so you know eventually um, I was at the Mayo Clinic in 2000 at the in the fall about this time 2016 so about five years ago and I you know walked in and the Mayo Clinic doctor who sees 50 patients a day, do you think I'm any different in his eyes? No. Just, just, the,
0: just the next and guy.
1: I'm just the next guy. And he puts everybody in a box because he's got to see 50 patients a day. And I don't grudge him for it. That's just the reality of our medic, medical system now. I mean, I, you know, it's, I'm, this whole thing with COVID, not to get on a tangent, it's, it's laughable to me because you're, you're basically grouping everybody in together when that's not exactly what's going on. But I've seen this. I lived it. And so, um, you know, basically he, you know, I went to him and he, and I said to the doctor, the Mayo Clinic doctor at the time, I said, well, I just had my third major surgery, you know, and I know you say it's, it's not, there's no cure here, but like, what are the long-term prognosis for me? And he said, Philip, you really can't have another surgery. You've had too many. And this wrap that's stapled together, it'll come undone one day, we may have five to 10 years. And when that happens, we're probably just going to remove your esophagus, connect your stomach to your throat, and you'll be able to down liquids but food wise you'll probably have a feeding to the rest of your life five or ten years
0: i mean as fun as that sounds
1: it, yeah i know it does it sounds it sounds like a big party um yeah. and so uh i looked at him and i went "Well, oh, you know that did not that didn't really work for me and he kind of laughed like <laughs> okay well what, do, what, <laughs> I appreciate you what you're do? saying but that's the answer and he yeah. said philip take your medication the one that has the dementia effects i was taking more proton pump inhibitors than many people do in a week or a two week period. I was taking mm-hmm. per day. I was taking hundreds of milligrams per day because mm-hmm. I was having so much acid reflux. And he said, take your PPIs and we'll see you in six months. And he pats me on the back. And that was and I drove home from the Mayo Clinic and I went, I, I don't think I accept this anymore. And I, I don't know what that means, but I still don't know if I accept this. And so I, I f- figured give, I had give me the, to give me the date real quick on that. Oh, this is Rough. September, September 2016. OK, perfect. And so I didn't know what that meant, but I knew I had to figure out something. So I went, uh... by the way, this is kind of funny. I had been diagnosed in 2011. This was 2016. So I had it for five years. I never Googled achalasia the name of the disease. <laughs> I mean, that, that's how much I just outsourced. You're just Like, my, OK, whatever you say, health. man. Yeah, but I just outsourced it to doctors. And I, I mean, why wouldn't you? It's the Mayo Clinic, right? And then all of a sudden I realized in that conversation, that guy's not, it's not, he's not a good person. He's just not looking out for me. He sees 250 people a week with the same condition or a different condition or some kind of a esophageal issue. And he just basically like, take the pill, see you later. Take the pill, see you later. Next person, take the pill, see you later. That's what he's doing every single time. And I said, I don't, that's not what's good for me. I'm going to. Like, I want to have a long life. I want to be with my family. Like this is, these are the, the things that are important to me. And so I said, well, I don't know, I got to figure this out. So the first thing I did was Google. And I found that in the 1990s, that uh, they thought that stem cell treatments could help accolade, cure accolades. This is 90s, that had not been nothing that's, since that's like 90. Yeah, way like, long it had been, been almost 20 years and there'd been nothing, no research, no nothing on my disease. And so I was like, all right, well, that's curious. And I just kind of put it in a box. And then I said, you know, the other thing I need to do is get my diet in order because it doesn't work for me to take these, uh, these proton pump inhibitors anymore. I want to get off of them. I don't know what it takes. I know that I'm 10 times more susceptible to acid reflux than the normal person, because I have literally the bottom of my esophageal sphincter is literally cut wide open. So acid just comes up and down whenever it wants, but I had to figure that out. And so. Um, it, it took about six months and a book came out by a guy named Dr. Dr. Stephen Gundry called The Plant Paradox, it came out in 2017. And I heard him in a, in a podcast interview and I went, holy cow, that diet speaks to me. That, that's what I need to be on. And so I got on his diet and within three months, I got off PPIs and I have not taken one since. Um, and I mean, I, obviously every single year I optimize my diet even more. So I'm, I do uh, almost 250 different blood tests every year. I do food sensitivity tests. Um, I'm, uh, I'm on a pretty close to keto diet, but a lot more it's everything's organic. Um, and mm-hmm. it, on and on and on. And I, I mean, there are foods that you would think are com- like vegetables that I'm completely uh, allergic to. And I didn't know it until I took a food sensitivity test. And then six months later, I may not be allergic to it anymore, because my body has changed. And mm-hmm. so I'm constantly optimizing that. And I got that in order. And it's something to work. It's like everything else to work in progress. It's not always easy. You go to a restaurant, it's almost impossible. <laughs> but now I found supplements that I take that kind of act in the way a PPI would, except they're not, they're good for you. They're good for you. So they're they're not going to cause
0: dementia long-term.
1: Right. And I also take about 85 supplements a day. Um, Now you can imagine when you take 85 pills a day and your esophagus doesn't work, it takes about two hours for those pills to get down my throat. So I have oh, to feel no. that traffic jam for about two hours. Go, uh, every, every maybe you should go
0: day. suppository. Maybe you should switch it up. And- no, <laughs> it
1: could be easier, actually. It, it may it be hurt. a little easier. Might- right. But I no, but need yeah, to do it because this- I know what I'm deficient in and I know yeah. what I'm efficient in. And I know I need to take supplements to overcome those deficiencies and also treat a lot of infections I have in my gut. that I already know I have because I have spent, you know, hundred thousand dollars to understand my body so again right. let me go, right. go do a sidebar I, I mean I have a deep understanding of the way the world works right now with COVID everybody's different everybody is, is reacting differently to COVID and every doctor in the world is trying to throw you into one box and say everybody is gonna go to the do hospital this. if they don't do xyz like yeah. I, I get it like and I'm not a denier I'm not an anti-vaxxer I'm not anything like that I'm just saying that I've, I've lived this experience And it's frightening to me to see people that just go, you know what, we're just going to put everybody in the same box and then you're going to, and it's going to save you. And it never saves you. It was leading me to a path of dementia. It was leading me to a path of having my esophagus removed and all that. So, but anyway, all right, I'm off my soapbox. So that was the diet part of this. But about February of 2017, I go to this business conference uh, with Peter Diamandis who started uh, the X Prize and um, he's a business okay. partners with Elon Musk and he's on stage. Perfect. Yeah. And um, and he's, by the way, he's coming on my podcast in about two weeks. So I'm super excited. But that's awesome. I'm on, I'm on stage with him and uh, I'm, not, I'm not on stage, but he's on stage and he, I'm at this business conference and he says, Everybody, pull out your notebooks. And he goes, I want you to write down something that's a moonshot, something that people say is impossible in your business and you're going to make possible and i went mm, that's not my business my moonshot is something else my moonshot yeah. is and i wrote down in my notebook i'll find a cure to this disease in five years uh, it was february 2017 and then one of the things that peter says on stage is like take one or two actions when you leave this conference immediately so you get some momentum behind your moonshot mm-hmm. and so i wrote an article and no one ever knew i had the disease i mean m- maybe five people in my life sure. and so I wrote an article in ink magazine and in the article I proclaimed that I would find a cure to the disease in five years, by the way, a a disease that there is no cure. There's no cure. Yeah.
0: The Mayo Clinic. Last Good time one. I checked, um, I'm,
1: I'm not a doctor. And, <laughs> you know, I always say the, the, the ignorance of an entrepreneur is kind of a beautiful thing because, I mean, you, you you know, we get an idea yeah. in our head. We're just going to go, well, Something's figure it happen. out. Yeah. And so um, uh, I wrote the article. I actually got caught, ironically enough, got caught in a Google alert by a researcher, at Johns Hopkins, who has worked on the disease for 20 years. We were connected uh, he said, what, what, what are you plan to do? And I said, I don't know. I read this article in, from 1998 about stem cells. And he goes, what's well, funny you mentioned that because I'm trying to figure out a cure. And I think that that article has meaning and I'd like to pursue that. Maybe you and I should pursue it together. And I said, I'm in. So that was, again, probably was literally like two months after I proclaimed the moonshot, right? I love it. So we're talking like April of 2017. And all of a sudden we got into this wild ride where we um, put a team of about 35 doctors around me. We petitioned the FDA, we petitioned Johns Hopkins to, let, uh, to try this trial. Um, it took a long time in, in the fall of 2019. So two years ago, I went back to Hopkins and they extracted um, stem cells out of my thigh muscle Mm -hmm. They took them to a lab and they grew them. And in February of 2020, right before the pandemic, I went back to Hopkins and they injected 250 million stem cells into my esophagus to try to regenerate the muscles and nerves. Now, this has never been done on an animal. It's like a clinical, this is like three steps for, for a clinical trial. I'm absolutely guinea pig. My doctor yelled at me not to say that because apparently that's you know he doesn't that want to know. Sorry, no. Peter's
0: gonna come in. Right,
1: but there like there's a lot of risk involved, right? Yeah. They don't know the risks. They just know it could be bad. There's no animal. I mean, they, they've never done it on an animal. Um, that this is, like I'm just the guy, and I you know I had to sign my life away to try it. But then they like do you you know like literally they're about to put me under and like you you have to verbally give your okay to do this
0: <laughs> last chance last chance yeah yeah no
1: they did last yeah. chance. they said this last chance you've got to say it and i'm like i'm good let's go and um then the pandemic hit, and i was supposed to go back in like may of 2020 and do a lot of follow-up tests and see what happened that didn't happen but i ended up going back in august of 2020 and i kind of already knew the answer which is it didn't work work. and um and so i went back and you know they did all the tests and they're like yeah it didn't work and i'm like yeah i mean i can kind of tell i can't eat and there's no functionality (laughs) nothing's changed yeah and they said well we can do this one more time do you want to do it one more time they said but this time we're gonna um we're gonna insert five to 600 million stem cells into your esophagus we're going to put them in different spots and you know we're going to try this again we believe it'll work but we you know you got to sign your life away and blah but you got to get fda approval and you got to get mm-hmm. the hopkins approval it's got to go through all the same hurdles and all that stuff that was a year ago or actually 13 months ago and just yesterday uh it got reapproved again and then we're gonna go in the middle of september back to hopkins my wife and i and they're gonna insert the 600 million (laughs) stem cells into my esophagus so we're gonna try it again and that's the last time so if this one doesn't work i'll go to plan b which i already kind of know what's going to be but you know i'm grateful for every day i have frank and if anything, this disease, like I, I often say this and I mean it with all sincerity. If you took me back to 2010, 2011, and you said, Hey, Philip, you don't have to have this disease. You can have a normal esophagus. You get to live your life. And what happens, happens next. You just go. Mm-hmm. I would take the disease. I would not give it up because it fundamentally that makes no sense. Tell me. It, why. it changed my life forever. How? Because people don't make change until the pain is too great. Mm. And I've had a lot of pain, whether it be through my business, or my family, or myself, or my health. And the pain got really great in 2016 with my health. And I had to take control of it. And it's a metaphor for whatever happened to the rest of my life forever going forward. It made me realize that every day is precious. It made me realize that sometimes in my worst days, they're really not the worst days. And if the worst thing that ever happens to me is I'm on a feeding tube at 50 years old, then, and I still have the love of my daughter and my wife. I'm pretty lucky. My best friend, one of my best friends um, has ALS. He's 50 years old. Mm. He's got a four-year-old son. And that's, that's bad. Yeah. I I don't have that bad. bad. You know, I mean, there are things I'm going to have to deal with and, five, 10, 15, 20 years, I'll deal with those one step at a time. No, no reason to get overwhelmed, live every day and be grateful for the day that's in front of you. And I don't think I ever would have thought about like that in the past before that disease. And it woke me up a lot. I think, I don't think I would have gone to that Tony Robbins event if I hadn't, didn't have this disease. I don't think Mm -hmm. I'd be um, a flawed husband or a flawed father if I didn't have this disease. And I definitely wouldn't have loved myself if I didn't have this disease. And so the disease is actually the best thing that ever happened to me, even if it's a pain in the ass neck. Esophagus. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: that's uh, that's pretty profound. And, you know, and some of those things you said, I think get people bandied about, you know, and it, it almost gets a little cliche where it's like, Oh, you know, this is really, and I live every day. whatever. like, but you mean that like the, People, people who say that sometimes I think aren't, didn't necessarily face the really a a completely insurmountable task. You have no, I mean, what's insurmountable,
1: nothing's insurmountable,
0: but but I'm saying, uh, from the time you sat there in that, in that meeting and Mm. wrote, I'm going to find this, Mm. this cure, Mm. I mean, that's ridiculous. Right. From from the perspective of
1: is ridiculous for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so when I say insurmountable, uh, yes, given enough time, enough resources, enough, whatever, nothing's Mm -hmm. insurmountable. Sure. But it may not be surmountable in the time frame and in, you know, or whatever that 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 you have. You know, I don't know. Right. Maybe, Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. But you're giving me that look. Look at that look. Well, look, tell me that look. I don't know. (laughs) Like that is the biggest load of crap I've ever heard.
1: No, I I mean, I don't know. Like my story is my story. Right. You know, a lot of the interviews I do, they're like, what advice do you have for others? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Everybody's (laughs) got their own story. Everybody's got their own issues. My issues are totally for me. You know, and I, I think what I hate in this world are the people that like, you know, trying to constantly give everybody advice on how to live. Uh, their life, whether it's like, Hey, here's how you make more sales and grow your business or how to be a great husband. Like, I I just think it's, we're in this BS world right now where everybody's just trying to get their needs met and they want to be praised and they want to get likes. And I mean, I I like sharing my story, but my story is my story. If someone learns one thing out of it, or if it affects one part of their life, that's cool. But I don't have the answers for everybody. And I just know that I got to be the best I can be and I have to love myself first and then I can be better for others. No, I I love that. And that, in fact, that's uh, very much the way that I I
0: tend to look at things as well. And that is the sense that it's like, because I tried for a long time in a similar way where it's like, I've got to have answers. I've got to, you know, I need to know what's going to happen. I need to know Mm. what's going on. I need to be, you know, a guy who I can be relied on and -hmm. who can help people and all this kind of stuff. What'd you do? uh, Well, I failed a lot and then, (laughs) you know, I ended up in, in the toilet over that. And uh, not literally, but you know what I mean? Um, and uh, and I think, you know, where it comes around to is at some point you go, you know, the experiences that we're given, and, and correct me, if I, I want to see if you feel similarly. the experiences that we're given are given to us, not so that we have some kind of great new insight to share, but that so we can, uh, so that we don't waste the pain that we've been blessed with, that mm-hmm. we've been given. Uh, so that people can look and extract their own meaning i don't need to tell them the advice right. you find your own advice and yeah. like you just hear their story and you go oh okay I, I based on what i've heard i think i know what to do next now i think i i, I think i know a path yeah. to take or i think i know the feelings i want to have or you know sure. whatever it is does that does that make sense
1: yeah yeah i mean ultimately life doesn't happen to us life happens for us Mm. And I think that's a uh, that is not my line, but it is a line I think about. it is now, mind. yeah. Put on the but T-shirt. My point is, is that if you look at my disease, and I go, "Why did life do that to me?" It didn't. Life did that for me to learn something, mm. you know. And it's hard to know in that moment that it's for you. It's real easy to say, "Have a catchy slogan. That's nice," <laughs> but. <laughs> you know if you know well this happened for me and i'll figure it out i just have to sit in whatever i got to sit in for the moment and, until yeah. i figure it out and the other thing is whenever you're the most frustrated in life it just means you're if you're willing to do the work then you're about to have a big breakthrough in your life and i mean that's just been consistently what i found on everything
0: I was going to say that is the absolute, I, I too have found that. And I, and I, I think we we don't talk about it enough uh, as, as men and well as people really, but where you get to that point where there's something inside you, I think that knows you're on the edge of something like something's about to go down. Something's about to change. There's something profound happening right now. And I think a lot of people end up shying away and kind of closing that door and going, I I, I, don't, I'm, I don't want to deal with that. I'm going to, I'm going to watch more Netflix or I'm, you know, right. whatever it is. Right. And just kind of checking out on it a little bit. And then, and they get, and, and I think that's where that feeling of stuck that you mentioned earlier, you know, I think that maybe that's where that comes from is it's, yeah. it's, you're stuck because you avoided it. You're right. stuck because you, you ran it. Down. It's not, yeah, nobody, nobody dropped something on you and now you're stuck. Like you jumped into the crevice and now, <laughs> and now yeah. you're stuck.
1: And the question is how, are you, if you're unconscious about it, then you've got to do the work to figure out what, what did I do? Where did that behavior come from? Where's the originality of that behavior? Because it's going to keep getting stuck and pushed down if I don't just address the behavior, but address where it came from, the origins of it. That's where the psychedelics come in. (laughs) 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 To be clear, we're not endorsing or
0: not endorsing. We're just the story. Uh, Again, (laughs) that's
1: my story. Yeah. Right.
0: But you, you had to go there. And, and so to, to your point, though, whether it's psychedelics or whether it's therapy or whether it's self-reflection or whatever the thing may be, right, you're going to have to, you have to figure out a way to, to destroy all those walls that you've built around and uncover those things that are, are deep and uh, yeah. Yeah, deep in there. Interesting. So let's fast forward uh, just a little bit. Well, I say fast forward, but good heavens, it's present day. Uh, two weeks from now. From the recording of this podcast, you're going to go in and have stem cells injected in your neck, Yeah. And, uh, and that's kind of where we are. But th- that's where you are on your health journey. But in your, in your, your business journey, I mean, you, you did all these political campaigns, you helped presidents get elected, you've been all these, you've been wildly successful. And you were chasing something and and then it shifted is that fair like you were you say you were kind of you were like chasing success and you were you Mm -hmm. were on this track of you know this is what i think i'm supposed to be and then you kind of hit this this catalytic event this this critical moment where things kind of you know turned around uh partially the disease Mm -hmm. which led you to tony robbins which led you to you know some of these kinds of things and so now what would you when we were uh we were talking right before we started recording like now it's, it's less about I got so-and-so elected or I got this business because you you still run a marketing business,
1: right? Mm-hmm. Multiple ones, yeah. Yeah,
0: right. Uh, big big win.
1: Oh, yeah, right. win big media and win go big. big media. Sorry, yeah. win
0: big, go big. Of course, what, what am I? Big like, win. Big win, big go.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> big, big go media. Yeah, anyway, and you kind of developed um some some tips some some structure around this because you're still in the business of marketing but it has a much more missional element to it now it, it it's it's more about what you were put here to do it seems as we've talked um rather than just like hey what can i do to get another check is that is that fair
1: yeah Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I'm like, again, uh, I'm a purpose driven person and the purpose for me is growth more than anything else. I want to see other people. Would you say though
0: that was, was it growth, you know, seven years ago, eight years ago, 10 years ago,
1: it was always in me. I just didn't know it. That's Mm -hmm. who I am authentically. Yes. But was I a grower then? No. Oh God. No. I I was, I spun myself in circles And in not understanding who I am, and then just trying to falsely be someone else. And by the way, you know, when you know that person that you go, Why do they act like that? And but that person that thinks to themselves, I have to act like this, said, No one sees my flaws. And then everybody else is like, Do you see those flaws? They're so (laughs) easy to see, (laughs) like they are all over you. (laughs) That's me. That was me. Right. Um, I, I overcompensated hoping people didn't see my flaws I did it unconsciously but I did it and mm-hmm. um, everybody saw it so I wasn't a very good leader and I very definitely wasn't very successful in the way I, I could have been uh, I did a lot of cool things and did a lot of helped a lot of people but I didn't do it for that reason I did it for myself and I think now you know I just changed that the mindset kind of changed a long time ago which was like well, what do I need to do to serve others and grow? You know, like, I mean, like we have, you know, I, again, if everything's about growth, like we have two values that are our companies, uh, give and grow. That's it. We don't have some long mission statement on the That's wall. It. It's just give and grow, give more than you take and always be growing. That's it. And it fundamentally is around everything we do. Are our clients growing? Are the people that work here, are they growing? Are they growing out of their job? Are they growing into another job? Are they advancing into this company? Or how are we advancing as better human beings? Like What are we doing to, when we wake up a year from now and go, God, I can't believe the man or the woman I've become in the last year. Like That's what I get lit up about. And it's so funny. The, mo- the most I get lit up on is when someone on my team comes up with an idea or develops something that I never thought of. Like mm. that is like my f- my favorite thing in the world where like someone says, hey, I thought of this idea and you could see their face light up because they didn't know they were capable of coming up with an idea like that. But hopefully we create an environment where we encourage everybody to, to think clearly, to think independently, to come with ideas to the table. It may get struck down nine out of 10 times, but if you can have one come through and it's a great idea and it helps the company grow and it helps you grow in this company and it helps our clients. Bottom lines or you know, as we're marketing them or winning elections for them, there's nothing like that feeling. And so for me, that's really, it all comes down to, to growth. And I think it's a, a giving a givers nature too, mm-hmm. if that's the mentality, it's not like oh, I need to grow and no one else. Like, no, I want everybody on the growth ship. Now it doesn't mean that it, it's for everybody. So the people that work, work sure. for me, um, you know, some people come in and they go, ow, man, <laughs> I don't I know the yeah. growth stuff. It's right. hard work, it you is. know, and, they, and then they head on and that's okay because that's yeah. their journey and I'm okay yeah. with that. Like I don't begrudge anybody. They got to figure out their own journey. But the people yeah. that are wanting to grow, the people that want to live um, an incredibly purpose-driven life, um, I, I just want all those people working here.
0: Uh, so can, I can apply, right? Anytime is you're saying. I'm ready to go. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Um, so, and would you say now, and I don't, you know, we're not here to, to necessarily to talk books or, or that kind of thing, but you have written a couple. Yeah. Um, and, and your latest one, which I think is, has a great title. Uh, I mean, we call it the undefeated marketing system, right? That's the, the title, but I, I love the subtitle, which is how to grow your business and build your audience using the secret formula that elects presidents. Now, who doesn't want that?
1: Right? Well, apparently Facebook, because Facebook banned <laughs> my book. They've, Are you serious? Yeah, Facebook banned my book, um, and uh, we we actually uh, won and got it back on Facebook last uh, in in March. But they banned it at uh, the end of 2020. Like the book came out in April of 2021, uh-huh. and we ran. Uh, I had a couple different book covers, so we decided to do some some testing on yeah. the book covers to see what people click through like on, you and facebook said that the book cover was trying to influence an election an election that had already happened this was in december and so yeah so uh they banned and then we appealed the ban we (laughs) appealed the the ban and then they they literally came back eight hours later and said no you're trying to that's a business book because it's a business how to win this book about how, to how presidents how, is what they're saying. You market your business using yeah, this yeah. formula that we do to like presidents and how every Fortune 200 company is doing. It, all these successful businesses are doing it, but it got banned. And then, so I have a little bit of a platform. I've done yeah. a lot of TV appearances and I had a lot of contacts. And so I decided, yeah, let's go let's yeah, go let's raise a ruckus. <laughs> and, uh, and so I did. And I, I wrote an article about it and Fox News picked it up, ran a big story on it. And then a uh, publication um, called The Federalist as a national publication, oh, yeah. uh-huh. um, asked me to write an op ed and I actually found um, nonprofits and um, charities and other uh, authors who also got banned for crazy, crazy idiot, reason, idiot, yeah. idiot reasons and um and so i told that story and then it got national coverage and then when that article came out the next thing within like a week of that article coming out facebook lifted the ban it was like oh you're good you're good you, oh, can, you huh. can run Go you figure. can run your you can yeah. put your up now it's not an yeah. election that's all but yeah uh, we had to we had to raise a little hell to get uh, to get them to change
0: so how do you feel like uh what you teach in that book and what you talk about in that book how is that filling like living out the mission and how like where Where is your purpose in there?
1: Well, what people, any kind of business owner doesn't understand right now or nonprofit leader or a marketer really um, is that the, the, the marketing world is rigged against them 100% and they're going to spend money and lose almost every single time. And the only people mm. that win... Um, in marketing and the marketing economy today, like if you're going to market your business, the only people that really win consistently are the Fortune 200 companies. And they're, you know, I, I, I liken it to the, this, uh, Frank. Marketing today, it's like going to a casino and gambling. The house always wins. And the house, the big tech companies. You're going to pay your money to the big tech companies, the streaming services, the Facebooks, the Googles, the YouTubes, all those things then they're always going to make the money. And you may get a hot hand every once in a while and, and, and you may get a couple new clients. Oh, I nailed it. Yeah. I nailed it. And they, But eventually you're going to lose and you're always going to lose more than you win. And so I wrote a book to say, how can I help small business owners, marketers, nonprofit leaders? How can I help them win the game of marketing with whatever they're marketing, every single time, no matter what rules change in the marketing world, whatever. You know, here's a great example. I, this is a great story. Can I, you got two more minutes for me? To get Absolutely, of course. So we do work for a national background check company. So this is kind of like a, okay. they, they, you know, like a McDonald's or Burger King hires them because they, they have so much, they're hiring so much new labor every week and right. they need to do background checks on them. And so they came to us and said, hey, we want to utilize this, undefeated marketing system. We, we really like it. We haven't been doing that. We've gotten fired a couple of marketing agencies. We can't figure this out, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And we said, cool, let's go. I said, well, let's audit what you're doing first, what you're already doing, and before we make any recommendations on how we're going to proceed. And we went into their system, and we realized they were spending about $10,000 $10, a month on um, Google keywords and SEO. But Google changed the rules about three years ago and their marketing agency and the company and the marketing team within the company didn't know. And so they had been bidding against themselves on their own keywords and overpaying by about ten thousand dollars a month against their own keywords they were bidding against themselves and they didn't know and they've been doing it for three years so you're talking Shocking about 300- me,
0: google didn't call and say you know. they
1: did call but there no, oh, no one was on top of it because google changes the rules every month they change yeah. different yeah, logarithms yeah. they change different things and no one can keep up with this and so it's not yes they they If they had a smarter marketing team, they could have caught it. But the fact is, is that 99 out of 100 business owners don't go into business and go, I can't wait to market. You know, they go, no, I want to, I want to, you know, sell a widget, but I don't want to spend money on marketing. Like that's just kind of the natural default. And so my point is what, what kind of system could be built out there that would help a business owner, marketer, nonprofit, or anybody that's in the marketing game that helps them win no matter what. That keeps them on top of the rule changes, but also markets in a very empathetic way that's not trying to trick the customer, but trying to be empathetic to the customer and break through the clutter of what Forbes now calls that we are seeing up to 10,000 ads a day online and offline. And so if you're, if you're trying to market your company and you think you're going to break through 10,000 ads a day and you wow. think, you know, let's say you're selling microphones. Because we're looking at them right now, you're not competing. Your ads aren't competing against other microphone companies. They're competing against T-shirt companies, hair care product companies, Yeti and coolers, every other stuff, thing everything, ten thousand other ads. Out. And so you've got to figure out what's the system. I, I like to say this today. The the successful companies out there don't treat marketing as a hobby, but as a professional systematic application. And that's what it is. And so what we decided to do was treat it like that and write a book on it. Well, we had to prove the theory. We spent years proving the theory that every single business that followed this five-step formula could grow their bottom line. And it worked. And every single one that we, every business we've worked with has. And in fact, we have three clients right now. We've, we only allow 10 clients at a time, but we have three clients right now that um, that have, have had the best months in the history of their companies. One company is 107 years old. One is 41 years old and one's 28 years old. And so all they did was follow the formula. And so I wanted to teach that system and, mm-hmm. and we've done it with fortune 200 companies. We've done it with startups. We've done it with small businesses. And, um, and that that's, works. yeah, it works. Super interesting. Super interesting. So, so hopefully that's helping them grow.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, and so really, you know, one of the things I love about that, because I, I feel like I have a similar uh, mindset in terms of my, my mission of what I'm trying to do too, is that is, you know, I, I'm not the guy, I don't build widgets. I don't really know anything about widgets, you know, and I don't really have any overly uh, great attachment to widgets, but I really love people and I really want them to succeed at the things that they want to do. And I really want them to be good at what they do. And I really want to help them to you know, achieve what, because w- the world needs widgets, no question, but I don't know anything about that. Sure. But I do know how to help you get motivated to build better widgets. And it sounds like that's kind of what this is about. Is that a fair? Yeah.
1: I mean, the approach is actually like this. That's what you want to do. Good. What if you knew what those people you're out in the market to find? What if right. you knew everything about them? Yeah. What if you knew what their fears were, what their values were in life, what social media platforms they were on in a chronological order, mm-hmm. what magazines they read, like specific ones, what TV shows they watch? Because I, yeah. I can tell you that yeah. with, with the way we look at our systematic approach, I can tell you all those things. And then when you go to talk to them, you know, I always tell it like this. And in, in um, entrepreneurship, we, we, we have a founder story you know the founder story. We love to tell our founder story. <laughs> I love it, man. It's fun. Let me tell you how I started something from I'm nothing. so fantastic. I yeah. bootstrapped this thing from nothing to something, <laughs> you know, but we love to tell it. What if you found out from the people you're trying your the potential clients you want to bring sure. into your funnel? Mm-hmm. What if they only cared about 25% of that story? Would you continue to talk about the 75% they don't care about? Or would you optimize the 25% and make that what your new pitch is?
0: I guess it depends on how much money you want to waste bidding against yourself.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Right. So my point is that that's what we're trying to find out. It's an empathetic way of saying, what does the customer care about? What does the client care about? And then, you know what? It needs to, I need to find the alignment between my vision and what that customer client wants. And that's, what's going to give me exponential growth in the business I want to build or the business I want to market. Mm-hmm. Love it. Uh, kind of last question. Okay. Um,
0: just, just to sort of think of, and that is if I'm a guy who is listening, right. And I say uh, all this sounds nice, but right. Mm, um, the, but the, but, right. Mm. How, how do I, how did you get the confidence or was it really just the was it just the pain that put you to a point where you're like it's time for me to to lean in because you you on paper you look like a guy who has everything going you know like it's all going your way right and I know you got a lot of struggle in there we talked about it here today on the podcast, but I guess wh- how how do I as a guy who's trying to figure this out not you know a guy right asking for a friend right um but uh and then say. How do I get the confidence or how do I get the, the, the guts to lean in and, and to start following? Because what you're doing right now shows up that this, this is who you are, right? I mean, this, is, this isn't the thing that you're doing just to make money. This isn't the thing you're doing. Just, I mean, You can see it in your face the way that it, I mean, <laughs> you, you turn on when you start talking about it. It's awesome. So how, how do I do that? How do I lean into that?
1: Well, let me give you a Tony Robbins quote. And again, I, mm-hmm. I don't know how you lean into it. I just know how I leaned into it, Fair. right? Yeah. How did you but lean into the, it? The Tony Robbins quote is, the quality of your life is in direct proportion to the amount of uncertainty you can comfortably tolerate. And I would tell anybody that that's the key of life for me um, is am I making a decision right now to protect my certainty? Or, you know, I mean, there are a lot of decisions I make as an entrepreneur, as a father, as a husband, mm-hmm. where I put myself out on the ledge. And the reason I do it is because my whole life I've been, has been based on fear. Like, don't, don't do these things. Don't rock the boat. Don't do anything, you know. And I force myself to do what's uncomfortable for me. Mm-hmm. Being uncomfortable is uncertain. Yeah. And so yeah. I try to live in a state of being uncomfortable. Working out at five in the morning on a Saturday is uncomfortable getting hearing that alarm clock after a hard week of work it's uncomfortable Mm -hmm. so how do you apply that uncomfortableness but by the way if you ask anybody in f3 right is it worth it at the end of Saturday or whatever day you're out you're all out working out let's just say it's Saturday every day but yeah right yeah just, Is <laughs> it wor- was it worth it that i got up before work this morning at four right. in the morning and worked out was it worth it yeah why Every well you time. had to go through one you had to be uncomfortable first
0: yeah why would you subject
1: yourself to that right well that's, because that's of the way it makes you feel when it's over with and what you've accomplished yeah. so you know they only i mean look nothing there's no free ride in life i've certainly learned that lesson <laughs> and so the the only way to have happiness or success or all that kind of stuff is you're going to have to learn how to live uncomfortably and that is in direct proportion to the amount of uncertainty you can comfortably tolerate <laughs> right no i love that yeah. and so you you know for everybody that's that's just what you've got to answer in your own head i mean i've yeah. had to answer it in my own head the one my own way and a, and a lot of it was revealed by pain too much pain yeah and so i mean even let I me mean, again this year like I was like, God dang it. I am I mean, I'm, I'm I waiting until I'm in a lot of pain to make this change. Yeah. We're all, I'm always going to do that. And I've really learned in this whole process, just how humbling it is and how take it one day at a time, but make yourself uncomfortable and always try. Stri- I mean, I loved putting myself in physically uncomfortable positions and doing triathlons 12, 13 years ago and, mm-hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, well, I have a, I have a muscle there. I did it. with my physical abilities maybe i should do it with my diet or my marriage or my fatherhood or my business or my own health right so or my diet or whatever right so that's
0: just the way everything good kind of comes on the on the other end of uncomfortable yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. like you said no free rides and no arrivals that's another thing you kind of hit on is there is no Place where you go. No, "Ah,
1: no, you know it is. It's such a cliché. It's like it's it's not about uh you know where it's not about the destination. It's about the journey. You know, (laughs) you know why? Because there's no
0: freaking destination.
1: uh, And I I just I used to hate that. I no, actually, I love the destination. Like, what are you talking about? But I do realize that a lot of that that a lot of it is um, what 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 is my journey? Am I enjoying the journey? Can I? How can I make the journey enjoyable? How can I make it fun? Yeah, because it really is the journey. It really is. Now I need to. I can't. I got to make it the destination. I got to make the journey the feeling of the destination. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: No, I love it, uh, Philip. Uh, truly, uh, thank you. Inspired. Well, thank I really you, man. I, I love
1: yeah. what you guys are doing, and I know you've taken a huge leadership spot, and you're getting paid. Uh, I don't know millions and millions of dollars to do it. It's not easy, and you know, to yeah, accept and, uh, all that cash. Yeah, your private jet and all that <laughs> stuff yeah, yeah, you're yeah. telling me about, and uh, <laughs> you know I'm kidding, uh, but yeah, uh, you guys serve a mission bigger than yourselves, and you're trying to help yeah. other people. And it was an honor. I honor if I could show my story, if it helps one person, that's awesome. But um, I think it will. You know, thank you thank for all you're doing too, to help other people in their lives. All right, brother, appreciate, appreciate it. it. All right. Monday, worry of mean, mean stride. Today's Tom Sawyer, mean, mean pride.
0: Thanks for listening to the 43 Feet Podcast. If you like what you heard on the show, or if it's helped you in some way, we'd ask you to rate us, write a review, and share us with your friends and networks. It really does help others to find us. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, write us at questions at 43feetpodcast.com. Or tweet us at 43feetpodcast. The climb we're on to create virtuous leaders isn't going to be easy, but we'll get there, 43 feet at a time.